Hello and welcome to Neither the Time Nor the Space, a podcast about Doctor Who. My name is David and as always I am joined by the unlimited Matt. Hello there. So um, today we are talking about uh, the Seventh Doctor for the first time mm. ever. Um, for the for the both of us, as I've said um, previously, for various reasons, I've never I've seen clips, I've seen um, isolated parts of stories, like whole episodes, but never a complete Seventh Doctor story before. So this is quite exciting for me, as it was for you. The, the story in question we picked was Remembrance of the Daleks. Um, That's right. Generally considered to be one of the best, if the not if not the best, uh, Seventh Doctor story. Considered to be one of the greatest Dalek stories of all time. Um, so my question to you, Matt, is did you enjoy it? I absolutely hated it. I hated, <laughs> oh, I hated every second of it. It started awful. Oh, man. I, I, honestly, I didn't... I, I could not abide this at all. Really? So is this like bottom of the pile for classic so far for you? Uh, this is... By far, by far. This is probably, like, the worst I think we've watched. Uh, we've, we've watched a lot of, like, bad Doctor Who. Yeah. And we've watched, you know, things I haven't enjoyed. Yeah. It, I was genuinely, like, angry at how little I was enjoying this. Wow. I want... And mm. especially, uh, you know, a bit... I like to do little shout-outs to our listeners... Mm-hmm. So one of our listeners, James, James McCutcheon, um, I, I put out that I wasn't enjoying this at all, and he, you know, basically went along with what you've just said there, that that's a really unpopular opinion. Yeah, definitely. But I, I genuinely, genuinely could not understand how people think this is better than other adventures. Well, um, I think some... I can answer some of the explanations. We'll get onto it when we when we start talking about the episodes in more detail. I have a bit of a theory as to one of the reasons why. Um, but to to give you my perspective on, on where I am with this, because obviously this is a first viewing for me as well, and sometimes it's hard to really make up your mind with um, first time watching classic, and especially when it's a Doctor that you're not as familiar with um, as, as I'm not with the Seventh Doctor. So I feel kind of stuck in the middle between where you are and where the fandom at large generally is on this. In that I didn't, I didn't hate it the way you did, but also I found myself thinking like, is this really that good though? Like, well, can 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 I list some of the things I really dislike? Yes, I think yeah, go for it. I think you know that would be a pretty good way to start. Okay, um, first and foremost. I hated this incarnation of the Doctor. Right, yeah. What what, I, what, what I, rubbed you up the wrong way with uh, well, regards well, to... Well, I, I did McCoy. text you this. Yeah. Um, I, I hate the fact that he rolls his ass <laughs> so much. It's such an affectation, isn't it? He, he's like, oh, I am a time lord from uh, Gallifrey <laughs> with Rassilon. And I was just like, no, like, nobody talks like that. Like, yeah. Like, that is so unnecessary. And all the way through, he's rolling his ass. And the way he speaks is... I've never heard anybody speak like that. So... And I I appreciate he's an alien. Yeah. But, like, it, it was so great. Yeah, I can, I can see that. Um, so, for context, we... 
with uh, with McCoy, I don't know what you really know about him as an actor and his experience prior to being cast in Doctor Who. It's now probably the, the thing he's best the known The only for. thing I know about him other than this is he played Radagast the Brown in The Hobbit. Yeah, yeah. And really, that was a ca- casting based on the fact that Peter Jackson is a huge Doctor Who fan. And so, have I ever told you about a little, a lesser-known fact about Ras, uh, not Rassilon, Radagast yes. the Brown? Yeah. If if you want, if you really want, just to enjoy yourself, to find the difference between the Lord of the Rings films mm-hmm. and the Hobbit films, Radagast is the greatest example of that right. because um, Games Workshop, that obviously produced Warhammer, Warhammer Forty K, have the license to produce the Middle Earth games. Yep. And when the Lord of the Rings films came out, they made a Radagast figure. Right. Now, this was before the Hobbit films, and no one had seen the Peter Jackson Radagast before. Yes. And when the Lord of the Rings films came out, that figure, it was basically Gandalf the Grey, but in brown. Yeah. And then, (laughs) when they released the Hobbit films, and they released the Hobbit Radagast, and he's like a scruffy old tramp. Yeah. Like... There's no greater difference to exemplify the dropping quality between those two <laughs> franchises. I must say, I've never actually watched the Hobbit films. I've they're, they're serviceable, I, but I, 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 if you like I, the Hobbit, as in the book, yeah. that and they say, "Oh, well, we shoehorned all this stuff from other, you know, and this is, Tolkien yeah, works." This is my con- and concern. They didn't. All they did was try and make it so generations after that hadn't seen the Lord of the Rings films would buy those on DVD. Yeah. They just shoehorned in loads of Lord of the Rings reference. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I as someone who pro- mostly, in terms of the books, much, much prefers the simplicity and fairy tale nature of The Hobbit to the more involved Lord of the Rings, and I know, you know, we can get into the wise and wherefores of that, but that's my personal preference. Um... I was really disappointed and, and kind of disconcerted to hear that they were stretching The Hobbit out over, you know, what, six hours worth of film or, mm. or whatever. I was just like, that two hours and you're done with that. It really doesn't <laughs> need to be any more than that. Um, but anyway, yeah, so McCoy, prior to starting uh, to being cast in Doctor Who, was kind of more... He was like a sort of vaudeville you know comedian and performer mm. um and when before in in the sort of wilderness years when uh, the tabloids would occasionally speculate about you know revivals of doctor who and who's going to be cast as the next doctor and you still see it a bit when with casting rumors about whenever we know that a new doctor is on the horizon there is a tendency towards talking into thinking in terms of comedians and comedic actors so you get the likes of like alan davis and uh, rowan atkinson and actors like that and this i think is the closest the show's ever got to falling into that trap but the thing is he's not funny in this story (laughs) Like, I don't think I laughed once. I couldn't even tell you what the jokes were supposed to be. Yeah, I mean, there were some funny moments. There were some bits that genuinely did make me smile. But overall, his performance is one of just... It's it's just deeply unsubtle. Yeah, it's, it's what... too much for me. Like... Yeah, especially when... He, like, 
even even you know Colin Baker is most sort of manic. There is you feel like there's layers to it. Mm. I didn't really feel that with this particular performance. Maybe that comes with greater exposure to his take on the Doctor, but I I, I also struggled a bit with it. So can can I? Offer an alternate perspective, yes. which is equally controversial. Uh-huh. Uh, I say the Doctor's performance is too much for me. And I know she's held in high regard, but I found Ace really boring. Yeah. Um, okay, I feel like... How do I phrase this tactfully? Because, f- first things first, Sophie Aldred is a, an objectively lovely person. Um, like I've listened to interviews with her. Um, she just, she's just great. I think she's, um, as one of the youngest people to, to, you know, to be involved with the classic series, if if you sort of think in terms of, you know, her age now compared to most people who were in, you know, in starring Mm -hmm. roles in the classic series, she is like, you know, the youngest and so she brings a more modern perspective to it and and so it's really interesting to listen to her talk about her time on the show and her, her perspective on 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 a lot of things and stuff so and also she's still involved she re- she actually published was it late last year or early this year um a a novel like an official doctor who novel that she'd written um that's sort of about uh the 13th doctor meeting ace um, okay. which I'm quite keen to read at some point. Um, so she loves the character. She um, is still very involved within the, the wider Doctor Who community and is generally a great person. I don't think her performance is great in this story. <laughs> I, I, it's a bit flat. With, with all the other classic Who we've seen, yeah. There's like an allusion to what the companion's backstory is. You know, yeah. like we know where they've come from. Here, I, I just assume she was just like some girl. Yeah, I, I think it's it's hinted at a little more in um, her first story because this is her second story. Her first is like the sole full-time companion. She was introduced in at the end of the previous series in a story called Dragonfire. Um, I've not seen that, so I can't really give you much context, Race, I, other than the fact that she is from the future. I believe she's human, but she's from the future. <laughs> and obviously in this story, we're in 1963, so she's like, this is way in her past. Um, well, that's another thing. It it took me a long time to work out they were in the sixties. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. they don't really mention it. They don't un- t- until later on. It doesn't look that different from the eighties <laughs> when this was filmed. Um, you know, yeah, like yeah. there was a conversation where they talk about imperial currency. Yeah. And, and that I was, was just, just like, what's going? On? What the <laughs> hell are they talking about? I feel like it really like, re- it relies on you being very cognizant of things like number plates and makes of cars and things like. That's yeah, really I mean, if, I, if the... I was a young man yeah. when this was produced and I'd been alive in the sixties, I might have noticed it. Yeah, but when they were talking about, you know, imperial currency, I was just like, well, 
She could be from the 90s. She could be from yeah. 2,000 all, years in the future. All it needed was a line of dialogue just, just establishing that they were in the ni- early 1960s. You know, that's pretty much de rigueur for a Doctor Who story. Like, one of the first things is like, oh, where, where are we? Or should I say, when are we, Doctor? You know, it's <laughs> yeah. like, but yeah. we just didn't get that here. So you're just kind of thrown into it. And I pieced it together a lot quicker. So uh, let's just talk about um, it, uh, because this is... This was broadcast shortly before what would have been the 25th anniversary of Doctor Who. So this was broadcast in um, uh, October of 88. um, And the original, you know, An Earthly Child was broadcast in November of 63. Um, So as a result, especially the first episode of this, it's just crammed with references to mm-hmm. an unearthly child. I don't know if you picked up on any of them or not, because you've well, only I'm, seen that. I'm once, glad you but... said that, because I did make a couple of notes yeah. where I was like, is this... And I mean, we'll get to that when we're talking. Shall, we, shall we just dive into the episodes? I feel like we've done enough preamble. Let's, let's just... Yeah. Let's just get into this. Right. So, pretty much for the first episode, every sentence I've written ends with a question mark. <laughs> Well, that's very in keeping, isn't it, given the, the Seventh Doctor's attire? We haven't discussed that, but what did you think of well, the, yeah. um, the question mark jersey? And the... It was just two on the nose. Like, yeah. he's not the fucking Riddler. And the question... <laughs> the, it, it's the umbrella that gets me. It's just... Yeah. It's a prop too far, that thing. It, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And... The, and I mean, boy, do they lay it on thick with the umbrella throughout. The, he's using it for everything. Like he, it's, it's like he's forgotten he has hands. Just doing yeah, everything well, yeah. with, the, with the fucking umbrella. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Uh, when does he get the sonic screwdriver? Is that all in just new hit? No, uh, Second Doctor was the first to wield the sonic screwdriver. Right. So imagine just putting that to one side because you've got an umbrella. <laughs> that, that's what he seems to do here. Right, so episode one opens with Earth being approached by a ship. Yeah. And then we get the titles. Oh, and God, yeah. I hate, you know, th- this is. I feel like I, I, I apologised a couple of weeks ago for being so negative, but I really can't help no, it. No, feel I hated free. the remix of the music. Horrible. I hate. I hated the 3D CGI times. Just, uh, and. I hated the logo, yeah. and I hated that the Doctor winks at me. <laughs> okay, so let's break it down, because I, <laughs> I, I, I very much agree with you on all of this. But uh, look, it's it's weird, isn't it? Because you'd think the more modern the, the title sequences get, the more they'll appeal to us as, you know, denizens of the 21st century. But this, these titles have dated far worse than yeah, well, the previous ones. I, I, I'd liken it to, if if you were going to play a Super Mario game, you, you would probably play SNES over N64. Yes, yeah. Because SNES is like ageless graphics, whereas N64 first venture into 3D, yeah. it's aged really poorly. Exactly, so we've just got, we, we, you know, we have none of that sort of the charm an organic quality of the sort of analog era titles. This is this is primitive early digital age, mm. and in both the terms of the visual presentation and the music, it is just 
grim. And like, and yeah, with the winking face, like you're not a big fan of the face in the titles at the best of times, are you? Not necessarily. Um, the only notes I've made here is he looks a little bit like Tom Hiddleston. <laughs> I guess he does. Less so in the episode, but but in that in that title sequence, um, I can see where you're coming from. But like, what have they done to those photographs of his face? He looks like he's sort of carved out of wax. <laughs> it's, it's really off-putting. Yeah, I d- I knew I was going to be in for the long haul. Then. Yeah. So then, like I say, I've got so many questions. Go on. So, this is sort of me retelling the story, but it's entirely in question form. Okay, I'll see if I see if I if I can d- answer all of your questions right. or not. Right. Are they at the same school as Unearthly Child? Yes. Why does Ace call the Doctor Professor? It's just a quirk of her. But then she does call him Doctor a couple of times, so I don't know if it's like an, an affectionate nickname or whether she just forgets. Not sure. And then, this isn't really a question, but I've just stuck a question mark on the end. It just says, there's a van he's interested in? Question mark. Yep. Uh, then I've put, a girl stares at the Doctor and Ace goes to a cafe and is seemingly perplexed by the concept of money. <laughs> So, yeah, so let's talk about the girl. It's, I mean, it's classic creepy girl, isn't it? Mm. It's just like... Well, she's singing a nursery rhyme, and I thought we've heard that... We've Well, we've seen that trope before. Yeah. I didn't know if we'd heard that exact rhyme before. I mean, it was. it's never been sort of unique to Doctor Who, that, that sort of trope of the creepy girl reciting a nursery rhyme. But, but yeah, it was, it was all over Series 6, wasn't it, sort of... Mm. Nursery rhymes and stuff like that, but and and also made me think of. Do you remember the family of blood? The the little girl in that. Yeah, um, yeah. It's just a it's a common sort of trope, isn't it? But to be fair, at first I was kind of groaning a bit at it. By the end of the story, I I liked where they went with it. I will mm. say that, and for, so to, to more broadly. I think I like this more than you. I think I'm more forgiving it than you. I think the the story and the script, by and large, is pretty solid. What I think really lets it down is is the production side of it. It's the direction, the supporting cast, who I think are universally pretty bad. See, really I, I would flat. even say I don't really think the plot's that good because there's once yeah. or twice where it just does random things. <laughs> but, again, we'll discuss that Yeah, later. we will, we will. So, so anyway... Ace goes to a cafe she does. that becomes, like, the main hub of this story, yeah. seemingly. Well, yeah, basically, we've, yeah. Got like th- we've got, like, three or four locations in the whole thing. The whole... Yeah. It feels... For a, for a big, like, Dalek story, it feels very small in its scope, well, doesn't it? I mean... I don't think in this entire story we see the interior of the TARDIS. No, but we don't. A, a lot of the conversations that happen in this cafe in modern Who would just take place in the TARDIS. Yeah, yeah, and of course they, that, that's it's a, like they just needed a living room for everyone yeah. to sit in. And, and I chat. think that that's like a cost-saving measure in, in a lot of things with with New Who. It's like you're spending so much on the other locations and the guest cast and the, the special effects. It's like. If you can do a bit of explaining or whatever, and you can just chuck that in the TARDIS, just do that because that's a set that's yeah. already built and easy to light and all the rest of it. So, yeah, we, do, we I think it's it is more 
you do generally in classic who see a lot less of the TARDIS interior than you do uh, in modern who. So the Doctor then gets in the van and we're introduced to Rachel. Yeah. And Ace makes a new friend called Mike who explains Imperial currency to her. Yeah, that's nice. Like I say, that conversation is too long. (laughs) (laughs) It just goes on and on. It does a bit. Like, imagine if this was like 1988 and you were tuning in for your weekly doses of sci-fi. And it was just like, oh yeah, there's twelve shillings in a pound and forty pence in. Uh, just I think maybe maybe if you've if you've got living memory of it before, it's maybe like funny. Mm. Maybe that was the intention. I'm not sure. So, Ace's friend is Mike Smith. Yeah. Who works with Rachel? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, there's some commotion in a scrapyard. And again, I've said, is this the same one as Unearthly Child? Yes, it is. Okay. And when they get there, one of the soldiers, because apparently there's just soldiers everywhere, is dead. Yeah. Uh, shot by a death ray. Yeah. And they talk about death rays again, just for far too long. He <laughs> like goes, "Oh, it's internal combustion. His his injuries are far blah 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 blah." And then they go, "A death ray," yeah. and he goes, "Yes, a death ray." And they just talk about that for far too long. And I've just put there's an army woman now too. Just like she turns up. So they identify where the hostile is hiding with the death ray. It's in a shed. Mm-hmm. And as if from nowhere, the entire military descends yeah. to approach. And I've put possibly maybe the only thing I really liked about this story. There's a nice effect when people are shot with the death ray, yes. where you see their skeletons. Yes, I was um, checking that. Uh, uh, according to IMDb, so, you know, a grain of salt, but because anyone could put anything on there. But apparently this is the first time that effect is used in Doctor Who. And you'll notice okay. in Modern Who, uh, any time anyone's shot with a garlic, you have that same effect. You see their yeah. skeleton. Um, so, yeah, it's established here, which is interesting. Okay. So, after that, the the captain... Of the army turns up and the doctor calls him Brigadier. Yeah. By mistake, wish, just because he's got a mustache. I wish it was, you know, because. Mm. Uh, I mean, I know it wouldn't work like timeline wise, but just. Uh, I, I was pining for some Nicholas Courtney in this because it, mm. I, I, I don't want to harp on it too much, but I, th- I really feel like every single, uh, almost every member of the supporting cast is just so. Dull. Like this, this captain guy is so one note. Plus, with the exception of the Daleks, this story links to absolutely nothing. Uh, I would, <laughs> you, you know, I would there's no old friends. I mean, there's not, there's nothing big going on. There's lots of references to stuff that you're not necessarily going to have an awareness of. So I, mm. I forgive you for that for 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 not getting, but. Again, it is still it's a fairly self-contained story, but that's during for classic Who. So, um, but anyway, yeah. I, I, other than that casual reference to the Brigadier, yeah. There's nothing. There's no mention of units. What What do you think about Ace's friend being so fast he can dodge a laser? <laughs> Good trick if you can do it. Yeah. 
So he does so, and then a Dalek appears. Yeah. So there's the revelation, this death ray that's been killing everyone is a Dalek. Yes, the revelation of the Dalek. Sorry. (laughs) That's a a different Dalek story. Um, Anyway, um, I like that they reveal the Dalek halfway through the first episode, because there is a trope in classic Who where, despite the fact a story will have thing of the Daleks it, you know that's almost always the name of a Dalek story like you know there's very little <clears throat> variation from that format the way it would work is you'd have 24 minutes of farting about with no Daleks and then the cliffhanger of the first episode is and then there were Daleks and it's just like yeah. I knew that when I read it, read yeah. it in the Radio Times you know <laughs> So it's yeah. a late. Well, it's a late when the titles came up, we, exactly. we talked about spoilers last week. Yeah. So, but like that was just always the thing. Like the the cliffhanger on it, the first part of a Dalek story is always, oh, and there's Daleks, and it's just really lame. So, so I like that. Just like quite early on, they're just like, yeah, you know, this is a Dalek story. Let's just cut to the chase. Here's a Dalek. He's trundling about. He's murdering people. So the Doctor gathers some sort of explosive and he's going to use it to blow the Dalek up. He sort of beckons it and it realises he's the Doctor, so it starts chasing him. And then, I don't know if you clock this, but when the bomb goes off, I think it's meant to look like the Doctor is diving out the way or is blown by the explosion. Yeah. It just looked like he tripped up. (laughs) Just literally looked like he just took a fall. (laughs) It does a bit. And then... Once all this action's happened, the Doctor and Ace just drive off in a van. <laughs> yeah. Like, where did they get that from? <laughs> I think they steal it. I think it's it's like one of the army vans. Hmm. Like they they're wanted felons for theft. Ought to be. So whilst they're driving round, the Doctor then explains what the Daleks are and Davros. Yeah. So I thought we were going to get Davros in this story. And I think we'll talk about that a little bit later. We will indeed, yeah. And he says that the Daleks want the Hand of Omega. Yes, Hand of Omega. But right. But nobody pronounces Omega the way that the Doctor does. Yeah. I've heard it Omega, Omega. Omega. But he's just like, yeah, they want the Hand of Omega, Omega. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. It's like he's got no consonants in the word. Let's talk briefly about Omega. Um, because that is some pre-established Doctor Who lore. So okay. Omega was basically the Time Lord that... Um, I forget exactly who inputs what, but working with Rassilon, he was the one who basically created the, the technology that was harnessed to create the TARDISes. So... Um, he g- gave gave rise to Time Lord Society. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's up there with Rassilon as kind of like one of the pivotal figures. We've actually seen him previously in, in Classic Who stories. I won't tell you which ones because we might watch one of them in one day. Um, okay. But appeared a couple of times as a villain. Um, interesting character. But uh, so I was kind of half wondering, like, are we going to get a bit of Omega in this? But uh, no, we don't at all. We should, it's just uh, it, it, it's it's just like a bit of his old crap he'd left lying around by the sounds of it. that the doctor <laughs> had taken with him to 
Earth back when he fled the Time Lords initially. And then apparently it took him six regenerations to remember that he'd left <laughs> it there. <laughs> but yeah. So, so we find out Rachel from earlier is the military chief science officer. Yeah. And she wants to get back in touch with the Doctor to sort of find out what's going on. Yeah. But for seemingly no reason at all, the Doctor has gone back to the school mentioned earlier. Yeah. Where the headmaster's really odd. Yeah. And, again, this is where, like, I just couldn't keep up with what was going on. The Dalek, even though it had killed, like, soldiers, the army just pay some builders to take it away? <laughs> Did they? I, I missed that. Maybe they Yeah, did. Miss, Mr. Ratcliffe oh, just yeah. turns up with just like some, you know, just his labourers. Yeah. And they're like, don't worry, stick it on the wagon and drive off. Like the rag yeah. and bone man's come round to collect the Daleks. Maybe this was pre-unit. I, get, I, I don't know what year unit's supposed to have been established, but you can't imagine unit would be happy with, with handling... <laughs> Stuff like or Torchwood for that matter. Not that Torchwood I mean technically Torchwood existed. Um yeah. but only with the benefit of hindsight. <laughs> um anyway, yeah, th- there is no canon. Doctor Who is what it is. Um maybe, maybe that could be our like that could be our way into the fan fiction market. We could write Torchwood where they just turn up five minutes too late to classic <laughs> him. You know, when they turn up and it's like, oh, hello, we're Torchwood, we're here for the Dalek. And And they just see, like, some men in string vests drive off in a wagon with it. You've got to sell it for scrap. Yeah, and they can have, like, the chief of Torchwood who always, like, goes, Torchwood! Uh, Anyway, yes. Don't, don't, if you're listening, don't be stealing our ideas, okay? We've got mouths to feed. We're going to make our millions off this. (laughs) So, yeah, so... The Doctor then says the Daleks are chasing him and he looks out at the school playground and it's got scorch marks all over it. Yeah. And this is the first time I think it's acknowledged they're in 1963. Yeah, that really should have been established up to I've even written it in big red pen in my notes. Again, with a question mark. It just says, it's 1963? Mm. So it turns out Ratcliffe and his squad of builders are working for the Daleks. Yes. And the episode ends with Doctor and Ace going into the school basement. Do we, is this where we get... So, have we seen... It, is we had uh, the first scene with Ratcliffe talking to the Dalek computer, then? Uh, I think so, yeah. yeah. So, a couple of important things to note here. One, it, you totally think it's going to be Davros. At that well, I, I did. Yeah. That was when they sort of hung a hat on yeah. Davros being around. Yeah. And That's it, where I thought we were going. And that here. is an intentional misdirect. Um, John Leeson, who was doing the voice, um, uh, better known as the uh, the voice of K-9. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, but he also... Um, he he, what you know, wanted to play into that misdirect, so he decided to that in addition to having the sort of figure sat at the thing, he would basically voice it in the style of Davros. So he he actually like studied old old tapes of previous Davros stories to try and get the voice right, um, and uh, yeah, and you, as I say, you've got this kind of like you you just see them from the back, the, the classic sort of mystery identity. Somebody sat at that that machine in what looks like a sort of Dalek. Casing. 
Um, well, they're just wearing a crush helmet, aren't they? Yeah, <laughs> as we establish later. But, um, yeah, and then, so, yeah, end of this episode, the Doctor's in the basement, isn't he? Yeah, the so they go down to the basement, because that wouldn't happen in modern who. Schools don't just let you go walking around. No, I mean, there is that slightly awkward scene where the Doctor's just... Um, we're just saying, can we have a poke round your school, mate? Don't mind. Her. Yeah. <laughs> and but then obviously, I'd be pressing the silent alarm because, kind of reception because the headmaster is uh, can be controlled by the Daleks. He's like, yeah, well, yes, of course. Um, but yeah. So in in the basement, they find a transmat. Yes. So basically, a teleporter. Yeah, but this is Doctor Who, so it's called transmats because you know that was established. I think it's. Second Doctor, I want to say mm-hmm. Seeds of Death. I could be wrong. Might have been an early story. But anyway, um, yeah, that's... any Anytime anyone's got a teleporter in Doctor Who, call it a transmat. Mm-hmm. So, a Dalek appears, but the Doctor manages to destroy it by fiddling with the transmat. Yeah. Some complete uh, nonsense, his explanation for how he, he did that. basically, like, folds it in half in time and space. Yeah. I mean, and good, yeah, you know, good work, I guess. Yeah, well, jokes on the doctor because another Dalek appears, yeah. and as soon as it does, Ace just pisses <laughs> off upstairs and leaves the doctor alone with it. <laughs> yeah, and that's where episode one ends with the incredible revelation that Daleks can fly upstairs. Yeah, which we'd never actually seen on screen prior to this. Oh, really? Yeah. So this was like one of the things that that uh, the writer Ben Aronovich wanted to do with his first Dalek story, and in fact, his only ever Doctor Who script he ever got to write um, was to actually no, I might be wrong about that, but it certainly was his first ever story, and he wanted yeah he he wanted to kind of dispel this myth that Daleks can't go upstairs because it had been it had been what you know it was part of the sort of playground jokes around the Daleks and I think what this what this story shows is a valiant attempt at Doctor Who at this stage in its lifespan trying to still find ways to make Daleks interesting and scary I think it's severely hampered by the lack of budget failing miserably yeah I, I think it just goes to show what an incredible job Rob Shearman does with his script for Dalek in series one yeah, well, I was thinking about that episode whilst watching this. Yeah. And, I, I mean, I know it's cheesy and all that, but it's a lot better than this. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the other thing I wanted to mention, that um, with regards to Ratcliffe talking to the, to the Battle Computer, is that he also drops the, 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 the hint, the, not even a hint, he just drops the fact that uh, he is a fascist. It's just an out-and-out Nazi, you know, who's saying we're supporting yeah. the wrong side during the war. So, um, you know, any any sympathy you may have had for him being, you know, being just, like, caught up with something he doesn't understand, yeah, nah. Yeah. Wrong end. Does that, does that mean Mike Smith yes. is as well? Because yeah. he, yeah, because yeah, he joins a, his little alliance Yeah, there is, thing, a scene, there is a scene later that really hammers that home. Um mm. And again, it's one of the things that I do... I, I thought that was the case, but... One of, one of the things that I really do like about this story and think it does well is it 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 
goes back to kind of, if you like, the roots of, of the Daleks in terms of them being analogues for Nazis. Mm. It, it, it does tackle the issues of fascism and racism and, and uh, that in a fairly head-on, unsubtle fashion, which is good. It's a kid's show. It, you know, you can't pussyfoot around these kinds of things. Um, yeah. So I think that is something that this, this story does do pretty well. So I did want to particularly highlight that. Uh, anyway, yes, moving on to part two. So, yeah, we've got this huge drama, huge cliffhanger. Because, um, actually, when she leaves the basement, Ace is knocked out by the headmaster. Yes. Oh, yeah, so, knocked out by being sort of kneed in the abdomen. Yeah, so she's unconscious. The doctor's locked with a Dalek. Yeah. Oh, my God, how are they ever going to get out of this? But it turns out Ace is just fine. She just gets up immediately <laughs> and lets the doctor out. Yeah. And it turns out the headmaster has a Dalek chip in his head. Yeah. And I, th- this sentence sums up how nonsensical this story is. Uh-huh. The doctor finds some anti-tank rockets. Yes. <laughs> he wants to blow up the trans map whilst the little girl watches. <laughs> so this is the th- this is the scene that really stood out to me. This is the one where like the army bloke has come up. T- it's like a van, isn't it? They're here to deliver the anti-tank rockets to yeah. the area. And this eccentrically dressed man that he's never seen before and has no identification or authorization on his person apparently is allowed to just sign for them and walk off with them. Yeah. Yeah, so that, I, don't, I don't get that moment. But I yeah. think it's the Dalek that was in the basement. Yes. And it, it's white. Yes. Rather than what we've seen, the sort of metallic-y Daleks yes. from before. Yeah. And Ace does blow it up with a rocket. Yeah. Which is pretty and cool. I don't I don't know if it's just because, like, 1988, so I've had 22 years' experience watching action films since then. Yeah. I don't know if that scene was meant to take my breath away or not. Because they sort of all go, whoa! <laughs> but it, it's just rubbish. Okay, so by... Classic Who standards, the action in this story is pretty amazing. Like, in terms of just sheer quantity of stuff that gets blown up, like, I mean, it's obvious they spent all of their budget on that because, you know, and it's probably part of the reason why it's contained to just a handful of sets and a very small area because it's like, we want to blow up a lot of Daleks and that's going to cost a lot of money for a show that is just produced on it. At this point, the budget had been just slashed. It was nowhere Good. near what it was in the sort of heyday of Tom Baker and stuff like that. Good. And if I was... was watching this, I'd have been praying for its cancellation. Well, it happened not soon after, so... Um... Good. It's easy to see why. Yeah. Um... So... The army appear and the doctor shouts for a bit, and this is where I've just written in big red pen. I hate his voice. <laughs> and then, I, you might have to help me with this next. I'll scene. try. I'll try. So the the doctor goes back to the cafe. Yeah. And the owner of the cafe isn't there, but instead is Jeffrey from the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Yeah. And I, I'm guessing the conversation they have about racism sort of parallels the attitudes of the Daleks it's, and the Nazism yeah, absolutely. and the story. It, it's serving two functions. It's it's talking it's tackling that that theme of racism, which is an important part of this story, and it's also talking about 
an issue which doesn't always get addressed in Doctor Who, which is you start fucking around with time, that's going to have consequences. So but it's talking about sort it, of the, it's all it's like, wrapped up in a riddle about sugar and coffee. And... Yeah, I mean, your mileage may vary. For me, it was one of the highlights of the story. I really loved that scene. And I like that we had this quieter moment um, sort of tucked away in what's otherwise quite a whiz-bang, running around kind of a story. I like that we have this sort of just little pocket of reflection. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, if you didn't, if it, I think you, at this point you were already fed up with this story. So a scene like that is uh. not going to... It's just dragging it out for you, I, I, but I know it's always a bad sign where we have to watch Doctor Who if I stop watching it and yeah. go do something else. Yeah. So I watched two episodes, then stopped, went out, and then watched two more to, when I came. To home. be fair, that's how I would recommend doing a four-parter anyway. I, w- I wouldn't suggest doing more than two back to back. But anyway, I I really like that scene. I think other people as well have highlighted that that's that's a particularly standout moment for them. So, as if from nowhere, the trans map works again. And I, I, the Doctor goes to a funeral home? Yeah. <laughs> like, like what, what purpose does that serve? And I know that it's got the hand of Omega in, his, yes. in a coffin, blah, 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 and he plans to bury it. All part of his but plan it, for some reason. It just takes the story off on a really weird tangent yeah. where all of a sudden... Everyone's fighting in a graveyard yeah, and, and digging up graves. I'll be honest, the, the whole the whole floating coffin nonsense. That, I mean, that, for one, it's a bad special effect. And two, it just... And, yeah, it, it feels like padding. I think with the best will in the world, there is some really good stuff in this story, but it doesn't need to be four parts long. You could say it about so many classic Doctor Who stories, but... If this this is, feels like the story starting to spin its wheels a bit. Mm. Yeah. So whilst in the Undertaker's, the Doctor opens a coffin. Yeah. And I I couldn't work out. Again, you might have to back me up on this. He puts Ace's baseball. He does yes. in the coffin. Yeah. And is is that what imbues it with magic powers? I feel like or, it does. Or is it always magic? No, I think that's what makes it magic. <laughs> Because whenever he hits things now, they flash like white. Yeah, yeah. It's like, and and can I say, I quite like that effect because it's it's like very much reminds me of sort of music videos of that era. one hundred percent. Yeah, but, but um, it's it's got like that sort of cartoonish quality to it. But um, yeah, I think that's what makes the baseball bat magic. But I don't know how or why. Because that's not what the Hand of Omega does, but that is the Hand of Omega in that casket, I believe. Yeah. So, I haven't got a fucking clue. Best we just move on. So, The Undertaker says he thought the Doctor was an old man, so I'm guessing we're talking first Doctor. Yeah, yes, yeah. These, Basically, the implication is this plan was kind of set in motion back when the, the, the first Doctor originally fled Gallifrey mm-hmm. with with Susan. Um, like I say, I don't know why it took him six generation regenerations to think, oh, maybe I should pop back and check <laughs> on mm-hmm. that. But there you go. 
So this is where Ace's friend Mike Smith tells her about the association. Yeah. So that's that um, fascist organization led by Radcliffe. Yeah. So this is where he's sort of talking about, look, we've just got to like look after ourselves and that kind of thing. Is that that scene or does that come later? I forget. I think it's him. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because Ace is, he's, has been sort of like, told to stay at his mum who who runs a boarding house. So that's, that's right. where she, that's where they are. So yeah, she has that, that discussion where which she's I, I, I would implore you as well. I think it's mainly evident in the fourth episode yeah. where they're in the boarding house. Yeah. Just watch every time they open the front door. Cause it, it's got like a stained glass panel in it. Uh-huh. That is quite clearly just cellophane because it moves in the wind <laughs> as they open and close the door. Wow, that's odd. And you can see the walls move when they shut the door. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's because that. It, so she has that very uncomfortable conversation, and then she like goes over to to the window and she sees that sign. She turns around and just says, "No colours." No colours. So yeah, yeah. Again, kind of underscoring that theme. So the doctor takes the casket with the hand of Omega in it. And it starts floating after him. Yeah. And he takes it to a cemetery to bury it. And thankfully there's a blind priest who doesn't notice the flying coffin. Yes. Yeah. I want... Presumably that's why he chose that particular cemetery. (laughs) I'm guessing so. So then from there, Mike goes to the cemetery but is caught by the headmaster. Yes. But Mike kills the headmaster. Yes. Um, and then, like the the story is just going a hundred miles an hour. Yeah, yeah. Because at so this stage this is we what... haven't established the fact that we have two warring factions of Daleks, have we? Yeah. Well, but it's this is just our first now. Yeah. We find out that Ratcliffe is a Nazi yeah. working with the renegade Daleks. Yes. And then the group captain, who's sort of in charge of the military, summons everyone together. Yeah. So that's where we get the sign in the guest house. Yeah. And we get a little... Did you spot the bit on the television? Yeah. I It's... it's uh, I like that as a gag. Yeah. It's pretty fun. I mean, again, if you've got to, you know, set it in 1963 and do all these sort of, like, little nods to the, to the show's origins, it's a nice one. Yeah. So basically, Ace's... The TV's on in the background. Yeah. You hear the BBC announce time for a new, new science sci-fi fiction adventure uh, in part one of Doctor, and then it just cuts. Turns the TV yeah. on. Yeah. So then I've just written basically there's two Dalek factions at war. Ace goes back to the school, there's loads of Daleks. Yeah. But her bat is magic now because yeah. the Doctor put it in the coffin. So this is one of the bits, and I didn't know that the baseball bat was magic, but this is one of the real famous bits of um, uh, this particular story and one of Ace's most famous moments. Because Really? Well, it's not every companion that just wails on Daleks with a baseball bat. Right. That's pretty I'm cool. Going to, I'm going to text you a picture of my notes. Okay. <laughs> Uh, hold on. Uh, so it's sort of in the middle of the screen. Let's have a look. It's the bottom of that paragraph. Let me just have a little look at this. 
I'll let you read it aloud when it comes to Okay, so... Basically, two Dalek factions at war. Uh, Ace goes to school. Uh, Ace is bad as magic now. Doctor put it in the coffin. Uh, Ace fights a Dalek in a rubbish fight. Yeah. She just sort of... I don't know. Plays rounders against it. <laughs> she okay. just... It, it's not a well choreographed fight. Nobody's, just nobody's it suggesting with... it is. It's just I like that it's pure brute force that she's just twatting it. It's just it's just this kind of raw. Just ah fuck these guys. I can't be asked <laughs> with this, you know. And it's it's all a Dalek deserves. Do you know what I mean? Mm. They don't deserve to be like taken out by a crack team of ninjas. It's just f- fuck them. Um, so yeah, I, I, I like, I like the baseball bat moment. I do. And I see why a lot of fans are very affectionate towards it. And I think it, it's something that sets Ace apart from a lot of the companions we've had previously. Now we're a little bit spoiled in modern who, in that we've got companions like Martha and Donna and Amy and Rose who, who, who were quite, who are all very proactive characters. Well, they're very strong will. Exactly. They? they are not going to take any shit from any, from anyone. And there are certain characters within Classic Who who you could also say, you know, were of that mould. But Yeah, like I, Jamie. Good old Jamie. Yeah, but I, I couldn't imagine many of the female companions of the Classic Era doing what Ace is doing in that moment. So, in many ways, Ace is kind of like... This whole era of Doctor Who is really interesting because it is the sh- a show with decades' worth of baggage just starting to, to grasp towards something more modern. Not quite getting there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like... It's you. You can feel the weight of all of that history, and 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 it can't help but indulge in that in this story in a way that's maybe not helpful or particularly welcoming to new viewers. Um, it's really, it it's it's limited by having such a tiny budget. We haven't really talked yet, but later I really want to talk about just the Daleks wobbling around outside. They just look so silly. <laughs> they just yeah. like any time the Daleks are just are moving around outdoors, and they're just sort of like obviously just bumping along on the gravel, and it's just like there's no elegance to it, there's no finesse to it, and it's hard because you know they were they they didn't have the time or money to make it more elegant, more slick. They couldn't compete with glossy drama of that period in the way that. Doctor Who now does compete with with the big budget dramas of its time. Um, So, yeah, I think this is interesting as a snapshot of the show at least striving to be more modern. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, limited, uh, uh, mixed results, I would say. So, again, this shows how engaged I was with this story. Yeah. I've put, Ace just runs away. Oh, wait, that's the end of the last episode. <laughs> She's going to fight the Daleks again. <laughs> uh, and then the Doctor just turns up with a glitter gun and blows them all up. Yeah, that's handy. 
He'd been yeah. cobbling that together, hadn't he? He'd given some specifications to the science people mm-hmm. at not unit. So one Dalek is still alive, so they magic bat it. Yeah. And then I've just put, what, what is Ace? Why does the Doctor like her? <laughs> <laughs> She's spunky. I, I mean, her jacket. What a mess. <laughs> I call it a jacket. Uh, it's more fucking Cub Scout badge than jacket. I like Ace's costume. I like Ace's look. Again, very different to what we'd had before. You know. Did she dress like that all the time? Yeah, yeah. She just has this sort of tomboy look, which is quite, you know, it's very much of the era, but also the kind of thing that I think, like, compare it to Perry, who is just sort of trotting around in high heels over, you know, rocky alien landscapes. Um, I think it's quite cool that we've got a. Uh, a character that you know in that role, but dressing far more practically and in a way where she's obviously very comfortable in her own skin. Mm. Um, I think it's really different uh, and quite cool. But but again, yeah, it's like at, at the beginning. It's, it's, I'm not like... saying it's not a fashion disaster because it like it, <laughs> you know it absolutely is. But that's kind of the point, and it doesn't matter. At, at the beginning, I had like my laptop screen at such an angle, I couldn't really see the detail in her hair. Yeah. So I thought she had, like, a skinhead with, like, a little rat tail. Yeah. But it was just tied really tight. Yes. Yeah. She's just got, yeah. like, a long plait. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I did not... I, I have no affection for Ace as a character. I think I will grow to love Ace as I watch more of her stories. Um, I, I think what we should do is watch what's considered the worst Seventh Doctor story, whatever that is. <laughs> maybe, I bet it's better than this. Maybe. maybe well, you know, I'm sure we'll come back round to the Seventh Doctor at some point in the future. Mm. So Ratcliffe goes to the grave where the Hand of Omega's buried. Yep. And it's got like a sideways three on the grave. Is that... I, you know, I, I wanted to check that. Is that not the like, the Greek sign for Omega? No, the the sign for Omega, it's like a, an almost like an N. It's got a loop. Right. Um, okay. If if you were to draw, sort of an O, but not join it at the bottom. Oh yes, I know. I've just googled it. Then, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what's what is that symbol then? Don't know. Oh, hang just on, fa- hang on, hang on. That's the capital on Wikipedia. The lower case is like that W. It's like a W. Uh, so I think it's a lowercase right. omega. Right. See, no one uses that. No. Well, maybe that you know that's the doctor being crafty, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So basically, Ratcliffe just desecrates the grave. Yeah. Uh, and it starts buzzing, and of course, everyone else is just in the cafe whilst this happens. Uh-huh. Um, so this is where we're introduced to the Emperor Dalek. Yeah. <laughs> and he is shite. He looks like a shuttlecock. Oh, yeah, that's not a bad uh, description. I was thinking, uh, I was thinking bubblegum dispenser. Yeah, I'd give you that. <laughs> I mean, we later find out there's reasons why the Emperor Dalek looks like that, but it's a... It's not a good design, is it? Is, is there a reason? 
Yeah, because it's, I mean, in terms of there's somebody in there. Yeah, but there's people inside, like, the other ones. Yeah. Okay, it's, so, it, it is what it is. <laughs> a little girl, the little girl is watching The Grave Robbery. Yeah. And I have to put, everyone fucking loves this cafe. It's, I mean, yeah, the guy, guy who owns it must be making an absolute killing. Yeah, like, when she goes in, Ace orders four sandwiches just for herself. Yeah. So, the Doctor talks rubbish for a while about Rassilon and Gallifrey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just boring. Yeah. And the Doctor wants... Sorry, the Daleks want the Hand of Omega so they can improve their own time travel. Yes. And for some nonsensical reason, the Doctor wants the Daleks to have it. I mean, it turns out to not be nonsensical, but uh, yes. Well, yeah. He's got a plan, but he's not letting on. And this is something that I... People... Some people really love. This is a a key part of the seventh Doctor's characterization in that he's like this sort of like grand chess master manipulating things from... Do you know what I mean? Um, But it's just not telling people, isn't it? He could t- it's the same thing I didn't like about Pertwee, though, where he acts, because he is cleverer than everyone else, he really lords it yeah, over everyone. Yeah, exactly. I'm just like, if you've got a plan, tell Ace your plan. Yeah. If she's your friend and she trusts, and you trust her, tell her what the plan is. Um, yeah. But yeah, so uh, that's an aspect of this characterization that I think I'm going to struggle with. But we'll see. May- maybe with more exposure to it, I'll get used to it and appreciate it for what it is. But yeah, I'm not a big fan of that. So we find out at this point all along the little girl that's been haunting the Doctor is the rebel Dalek leader. Um, who had a cr- kind of, yes. Yeah, yeah, she's like a puppet for the rebel Dalek. Yeah, and I... Re- but she's had a crash helmet on this far, yeah, so we didn't know it was her. Exactly. But I really like this concept, because, as the Doctor explains it, the Daleks lack imagination. And mm-hmm. at a certain point, with with your with your scheming and your, 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 your battle planning and stuff like that, you actually have to have... An imagination in order to do that. So what they do is, is you know, they're harnessing the imagination of this little girl, and sort of mm-hmm. like, and, and and putting that to their sort of evil use. And so, but wasn't this executed so much better in Modern Who, where we had the cult of Scara? Uh, I'd say they're different. I I like it. I I like the the simplicity. Of the image of you know the, the 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 archetypal concept of innocence you know as represented by by this this little you know little girl plugged mm. into this you know machine of death that is the Dalek battle computer. Um, I like that as a concept and, and, and an idea, and, and I thought the ex- it, the reveal of it genuinely surprised me because mm-hmm. I I was so glad that it wasn't Davros. Well, yeah, all the way through, I was like, it's Davos. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's got to be but Davos. If it's not, but if it had been Davos, you would be like, oh, well, I knew that. Yeah. That, you know, well, why were they playing with it? So, but when it wasn't, I was just like, oh, I guess it's not then. Yeah, but I, I don't know. That worked for me. Not everything in this story did, but that really worked for me. So, so 
The Doctor and Ace break back into Ratcliffe's building yard. Yeah. And it's at this point in my note I've just put, I don't like Ace's coat. Fair and enough. They, they play around with a plasma ball for a bit. Yeah, yeah, we've already seen it's it's this uh, it's the it's part of how the Renegade Daleks have been um, part of their time travel mechanism, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So the Doctor then disables the Rebel Daleks. Yeah. Well, he disables their machine. Sorry, then runs off for a bit. Yeah. And he leaves and... a calling card, which I hate. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, yeah. No, that just was. Again, it, it plays into what you say about him being sort of like smug and lording it over other people with how clever he is. Like, at least, at least, like, with the 11th Doctor, he's a, sometimes faintly embarrassed about how much clever he is than everyone else. Mm. There's none of that here. So, so mine asks Ace to go to the pictures, but yeah. she says he's a traitor because he's a dirty fascist. Yeah. And. The episode ends with all the Imperial Daleks approaching and landing. Yeah. What What did you think of that model for the uh, for the for the uh, the lander? It It was better as a model than it was as a scenery. Yeah. You know, when they're like climbing all over it, it looks rubbish. Yeah. There There is some nice model work in this sort of le- later era yeah. classic Who, and, and I do want to give. Give them a bit of a shout out. For well, it, it reminded me a lot of early Red Dwarf. Yeah, exactly. Because it would have been around the same time. Wouldn't it probably it? would have been the exact same people making mm. those models. Yeah, I suppose it's BBC, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Man, I, I wish I watched early Red Dwarf instead of this. <laughs> I'm sorry. So episode four opens, and it's just a shuttle. Yep. We get the revelation that Mike worked for Ratcliffe. Now the Daleks. The Rebel Daleks, the Imperial Daleks are all having a fight. Yeah. So we wheel out the Special Weapons Dalek. <laughs> what did you think of the Special Weapons Dalek? They're just getting worse and worse. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I mean, let me just get a quick picture up. Yeah. Let me describe it. So it's, it's pretty much a Dalek, but instead of being round on top, it's square. <laughs> And it doesn't and have it, an eye stalk, I don't think. It's just no, got but a big got, old tank. Uh, it's got a little hat on. Yeah. Yeah. It looks a bit cobbled together, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So the Doctor breaks into the shuttle and just turns up the Dalek off. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Daleks just want to get back to Skyro. Yeah. I mean, we'll talk about that a little bit later we on. Will. Uh, Mike goes to talk to Ratcliffe. I can't remember what about. It's probably not important. Uh, the little girl fixes the Daleks machine. Uh-huh. It was the time controller. Yeah. And then I've just put those more Dalek fighting. Like I can't remember any of this. No, th- Rat- we, we are in we are in full running about territory at this point yeah, in the story. So Ratcliffe, he's got the hand of Omega now, hasn't he? Yeah. But he gets shot. And then the doctor fixes the transmat that he himself broke. <laughs> yeah, with some fairy lights. Yeah. Yeah. So the Imperial Daleks win the fight. Mike now has the time controller. Like this just makes no sense. Yeah. Like the Daleks leave with the hand of Omega. And this is where it sort of starts making sense again. Yeah. 
So the Doctor broadcasts to the Daleks yes. and tells them to surrender the hand of Omega. Yeah. And this is where we get the revelation of Davros. Yeah. He is the Emperor Dalek. Yes. <laughs> just, just, just uh, yeah, just hiding under a little dome for no discernible reason. <laughs> so he wants the hand of Omega. Uh, hang on, we, we have to unpack the fact that Davros is is the Emperor Dalek because it uh, there is an initial oh my god revelation moment, and then it's just like why. Why did he have to do that? What I mean, the Dalek—he created the Daleks. They should respect him. Yeah. Why is he? And and like he's revealed himself in front of them, so obviously they're not going to suddenly turn on him. So why was he hiding inside a little dome? Yeah, I don't, I don't like, understand that. The, the only reasonable explanation I can think of is its armor, but. But he's he's on he's his in, own ship. Yeah, surrounded by Daleks for bodyguards. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, so he he reveals himself and he just tells the Doctor his plan. So he wants to make the star, which is Scarrow's sun, yeah. more powerful yeah. to harness it as an energy source. Yeah. Um, and then I <laughs> just put the Daleks use the hand of Omega. And in the least surprising outturn, it destroys Skara. Yeah. Okay, so... Now, is that maintained as canon in New Hope? Okay, so, so, so there's lots I want to talk about here. So um, so to start with, uh, there is another famous line in this. When, when, when uh, Davros is just bellowing his plan, he's just like in full hysterical mode... Uh, and the doctor sort of chips in and says, "Yes, yes, unlimited power, unlimited rice pudding." Um, that's quite yeah. a famous line. I quite like that line. It's nice to finally see it in context, um, mm. but that's a good doctory line, I think. Um, and you know, his sort of just disdain for authority and megalomaniacs and things like that. Um, I hate how dumb. Davros is in this story. Davros to me should always should be almost an equal of the doctors in terms of intelligence. Well, yeah, he's the chief scientist of the Daleks. It, exactly. And when and when you've you've not had the benefit of seeing his first ever story, which I think is probably still the best Davros story to this day, which is Genesis of the Daleks. Mm-hmm. Um he and he it, the the scenes between the doctor and Davros is these is kind of like a meeting of minds, but you know, putting their their almost equal intelligence to entirely different purposes. Um, yeah. it, it it's fascinating. It's riveting, and unfortunately, here it's kind of reduced to this idiot in a little tank just just shouting. He, all you know how he wants to conquer the world and you know being dumb enough to use a thing before double checking it and I, I don't know it just seems it's too I just wish Davros had shown some of that intelligence that I associate with his character but he's kind of he could be like just any idiot mm. do you know what I mean yeah 
I mean, we have seen it where the Daleks have just had random leaders in later who. Yeah, they? yeah, and that's fine if it's if it was some random other leader or 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 something else, or they teamed up with with some other element. I I, I get it, but for me, it just it just doesn't quite nail Davros as a character. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, Scarra gets destroyed. That's interesting. News to me. I'm not going to lie. Is it never alluded to again? Well, we can assume that Scaro is destroyed uh, in the same way that Gallifrey is destroyed, you know, because if we think in terms of uh, post-Time War, we know how that ended. The Doctor uses the moment and uses that to destroy... The wipe out the Daleks and the Time Lords, and we know that there's no mm-hmm. Gallifrey anymore, so we could probably assume there's no Skyro anymore. I don't think the show's yeah. ever explicitly said that, but that's always been my assumption. So it's kind of interesting to see that this was this. I mean, maybe that's already happened. Maybe this is the act because we know that Davros escapes this. There's this talk about him getting in an escape pod, so yeah. maybe this is almost what triggers the Time War. Mm, possibly. I mean, this is pure headcanon because, you know, when this story was being written, nobody had thought of the Time War. But, you know, this was Davros's, uh, you know, an attempt at a power grab by Davros to become, put his species on the same level as the Time Lords. He's thwarted. His home planet is destroyed in the process. Yeah. That's going to, that's going to fester isn't it, in his mind. <laughs> He's not going to just let go of that. So that makes me wonder, is this, by by stopping Davros in the short term, is the Doctor actually planting the seeds for the Time War here? Mm, quite possibly. Yeah. Certainly a feasible theory, I would say. Yeah. And and I think that's kind of borne out in the final lines of the episode, but I won't. I won't. We'll, we'll, we'll address them when we get to that. But okay, so there's not much left to go. Yeah. Like we say, Davros escapes. Uh, Mike has a gun on Ace until the little girl zaps him. Yeah. And it misses when trying to zap Ace. Yeah. Uh, and the Doctor annoys the final Dalek. Yeah. <laughs> Just, <laughs> Just uh, annoys him to up. death. Yeah. yeah. Um, as the little girl goes mad. Yeah, so because obviously that was the last remaining link to the rebel Dalek thing. So yeah. by destroying that Dalek, it releases her from from that control. So it's nice to get a happy ending for the for the little girl. Yeah, you know. And then I've just put now there's a funeral. Yeah. The end. Yeah. Um, interesting that Mike doesn't get a military funeral. No. He doesn't deserve it. No, absolutely. You know, he was a traitor. Um, so it's kind of it's quite a solemn affair and i like we don't get enough of these moments it's something that you get more with classic who is you get the sort of everyone's getting on with their lives and it's the doctor and the companion sort of lingering at the back being like yeah it's time we fucked off isn't it you know Mm -hmm. i i I like it's hard to say to articulate but i just like how those moments make me feel i like the, the way you sort of get this reminder that they're they're outsiders to whatever they've been involved in this, but they're not of this time. They're not of this place. Yeah, they're passengers yeah. in the story, really. Yeah, they? yeah. So, um, and they have this little discussion, and I really like these closing this closing bit of dialogue between Ace and the Doctor, where the Ace is like, 
we did good, didn't we? And, and the doctor sort of says, eh, I hope so. Time will tell. Mm. And I think that kind of plays back into my headcanon of, of um, yeah, maybe in the short term, maybe in the longer term, that we do have these ripples that that are beyond the doctor's control. Um that might yeah, result nice in even doctor. yeah even greater carnage who knows but mm. um so yeah i i hopefully have encouraged you to, to think that there, there is some merit in this story honestly i of all we've watched this one agreed with me least i really yeah. couldn't get on with it yeah well that's a shame but but at least we've we've had a glimpse into the world of the seventh doctor it was an interesting experience for me as it was for you um next week uh, we're going to be diving back into series seven uh-huh. with uh, a christmas special because series seven is God weird say. and it was sort of broken up over two years so our next episode is the snowmen the 20 what would it have been is 20 it a long one it's um, not one of those like one hour forty ones. Ah, uh, let's have a look. I don't think it's. I mean, a... This was about a hundred minutes watching this, and it was too much for me. It's sixty minutes. Uh, that, that'll do. <laughs> it could be worse, couldn't it? Um, yeah. Well, it can't be worse than the one we've just watched. Like, I, I always feel really bad because I, I appreciate. I'm always quite down on Doctor Who. Yeah. And I know that I usually go against the grain of whatever the popular opinion is, but I really, really just could not enjoy this. Oh, well, and I, I know it, it's like a really unpopular opinion, but I'd rather watch the Twin Dilemma than watch this again. <laughs> that is, that is something. As opinions go, that is something. And and, and that is that is an honest opinion. Yeah, That's I don't doubt me. you. I, I think I don't know whether our listeners. Because obviously they don't know you quite as well as I do. I I, I know that you are being one hundred percent honest in your assessment yeah, of like, of everything we watch. I, I, I like I say, it would be easy for me to be flippant and be like, "Oh no, everything about this was terrible." Yeah. But there was a lot that just really disagreed with me. Ah, well, you know, you win some, you lose some. I do find that sometimes it's. The the, the the episodes that the fandom at large praise to the high heavens, I don't quite click with in the same way. Like, everyone talks about the case of Andrazani, and I'm like, it's fine. It probably wouldn't make my my, my top five Fifth Doctor stories. Mm-hmm. I, it's, I don't think it's bad, but I don't think it's as amazing as everyone makes it out to be. And, and I think I'm having a similar experience with this, episode, with this story, where it's like, I think there will be other Seventh Doctor stories that are generally rated lower that I prefer because they do things with Doctor Who that I personally prefer. But do, do you think there's an element in the fandom that people just go along with the popular opinion? I think so. I think you get that in any fandom. And I think the other reason that people just can't help themselves with this one is all of the references to to classic Doctor Who. We haven't even talked about all of them. There's like there's a book of the French Revolution which is hearkening back to the first episode you know, because um Susan borrows it off of Barbara and you know, all of this you know deep cut stuff that it's pure 
self-indulgence for the fans, you know. It's like, and I think there's a certain type of pleasure that you get as a fan of something when some, when a show this long references itself and it's just like, ooh, you, you're smart, you've watched all of this so you know what we're talking about here. And Do you know what I mean? And I think it's easy to be seduced by that. And I, whilst I don't dislike those elements, I think they're not enough for, to, to make me feel like this is just an, a, a, a triumph from start to finish. It really isn't. It's, it's kind if, of ropey in, in a lot of ways. If we'd started with this, if you know someone came to me and said, this is considered one of the all-time greats, you must watch it, yeah. I'd worry about the rest yeah. of the series. We're lucky we started with Rose, which is a good episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, yeah, it's it's amazing to think that this, you know, we're about, we're not far off, I think it's slightly longer, but the, the distance in time between Remembrance of the Daleks and Rose is about the same from Rose to where we are now. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Which is kind of weird to think about. But, um, yeah, the leap between something like this and Rose is, is quite evident, I think. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yes, that, uh, I think that will about do it for Remembrance of the Daleks. Uh, join us next week when we were discussing uh, The Snowmen, which, fingers crossed, uh, you'll enjoy rather more than this. Maybe, you know, it's a Christmas special. Pour yourself a glass of sherry or something. Yeah, I've got a good history with Christmas specials. They've always done really well for me. (laughs) It might be one of the better ones. You never know. Uh, Until then, thank you very much for listening. And cheerio. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Neither the Time Nor the Space. If you wish to contact us, our email address is timenorspacepod at gmail.com and on Twitter we are at timenorspacepod. And thank you to Alexander Urban for his smashing arrangement of the Doctor Who theme.